Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. All right, well, welcome. Uh, we've got uh, with us the one, the only, Clarence, and the one that really matters. Yeah. Alicia. Now, some of you met Clarence. Was it a couple months ago, buddy, you were here? He was here in... Yeah, it was recent. January or yeah. February, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so he's going to look familiar to you. Um, and, and as I said on Sunday when you, when you preached last time, that oftentimes people will get us confused when we're together. <laughs> people often will come up to me and be like, Clarence, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm JD. I know it's, we look so much alike, mostly on the height. We're both super tall. So that, that's, that, that's where we you get You wish, to, babes. Yeah, I know, I know. Hey, I'm wish. trying he to wishes. improve my visual uh, appearance. So that's why I just went bald so I can yeah. get up that JD Griffin ladder. Yeah, that's right. That, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, hair is overrated, man. Oh my goodness. Hair is overrated. Right. Yeah. Think about how much money you're going to save not going to the barbershop. You know what I mean? It's all about the budget. That's what I tell my kids. Is that why kids. you do it? Yeah, absolutely. That's why, you, that's why I do it. That's why you do it. Uh, all right, well, uh, enough fun. It's, it, it's, it's been a heavier few days for all of us. And um, uh, we thought, man, we're doing this Zoom Out series at church. We already wanted to talk to you guys about what God was doing in Norman. Then all of this stuff just began to happen in our nation. And we said, man, isn't that just a cool divine setup where we can have a, a real honest, open dialogue with our family? Because as I've uh, told Clarence many times is that when he comes here, he doesn't come here as our guest, but he comes here as our brother. And um, I know you've never said that about me up in Norman, but oh, that's please. what I believe. Please, I think it was my idea in the first place. I claim, I claim it. Even if you said it, I claimed it. I, 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 I put it in your head. Um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, we, Clarence and I, we talk often about these issues, primarily these tensions that I, I think everybody is feeling right now. And, uh, I mean, I I texted you, I think, yesterday. And I was like, man, I think I'm feeling this past week how you've you've been feeling your whole life. And um, the uh, connection point for so many of us is is drawing in. Uh, And and I'd I'd love for you guys just to tell us a little bit about your, your family and just kind of introduce yourself to us um, as hundreds of people are going to be watching this that don't know you. Um, but then on the back end of that, I, I'd love to start our dialogue with what you guys are seeing God is doing in the midst of the chaos that we're feeling. Because it, it can feel like, whoa, the world is burning. Because it kind of is. You know, like there are protests and riots happening in every major city in America right now. I don't know of a time in history when there was a unified, we're all walking right now, right? Mm -hmm. Not just there's a protest in Chicago because of something happened in Chicago. There's a protest in Dallas because something happened in Dallas. It's like 
No, we're, I saw a picture this morning of London yeah. uh, marching and different European nations saying black lives matter. And it's just like, this thing is, this has touched something that is, that I, I think it's created a moment uh, that, that's loaded not just with some cultural changes that will need to come, but with some, some divine shifting that I think God wants, yep. wants to bring. So who are you? Why are y'all both so beautiful and perfect? How come all of your kids are awesome? That's true. And answer all of our problems. <laughs> hey, hey. I'm going to try and give the floor to my wife as fast as I can, but I'm the senior pastor of Antioch Community Church in Norman, and my wife, Alicia, is the women's pastor. We've been married for 21 years. We okay. have four beautiful children, ages 17 to 7, three girls and one boy. And, um, yeah, we, uh, Alicia's from Alabama, deep south. I'm, I was born in St. Louis, but I grew up in Iowa. Um, from like the fifth grade up through college. So I've lived a lot of my adult life. Uh, at, I don't know if the word, the term extreme minority is an actual phrase, but uh, when I graduated from high school, I, I was the only black in my high school. Wow. Wow. And the look on my wife's face when she saw my graduation picture um, and all of our high school standing there and, and then just one piece of chocolate in the <laughs> midst of a sea of homemade vanilla ice cream. She was kind of shocked because I had never told her because we still had great relationships and uh, that was my community um, growing up. So I've grown up in both uh, areas. Um, but we, we definitely see the hand of God in this, but I want to give my wife the floor first just to share you know, what's on her heart and what she's seen. Hi, Antioch Austin. <laughs> um, well, as Clarence said, I am Deep South born and raised and um, a lot of pain from the Deep South. Um, I think the further you move north, the more progressive and the more um, hidden the racism can be, but it's really overt in Alabama and Georgia the further you get south, it's very apparent to the naked eye. Yeah. Um, when Ahmaud Arbery was shot, um, when, when I saw the video, I could not believe it, but I could. I could believe it, but I could not believe that finally it's on video. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the horrific things that we have to endure that nobody believes us right. about, now we have a video. And so, Immediately after that, I was aware God was up to something. Yeah. And I was like, and I all of a sudden I got afraid because I mean, believe it or not, black people don't really like to talk about race hmm. because it's painful. I mean, we'll talk about it, but if nothing's gonna be done about it, we save our breath and we just, you know, find another way, so to speak. So when, when that happened and I saw all of a sudden, I just felt like the atmosphere shifted. And I said, oh my goodness, I'm afraid for my husband. And what I mean by that is he's always had a um, platform for 
diversity and racial reconciliation in Oklahoma City, but we moved 30 minutes south to Norman. And really that platform hadn't made it to Norman yet, even though I kind of knew it would eventually get there. But I knew that death would thrust him out front. And I knew that that meant our family now is out front. And it, all of a sudden I was, I mean, fear, shoulders tense. I'm like, I don't want to have to relive this pain. I don't want to have to relive the fact that, you know, growing up, my parents for my safety had to always teach me how to conduct myself around white people. Um, always had to tell you, we go in the store, keep your hands in your pocket because black children steal. That's, that's what, that's what they believe that we steal. So you keep your hands in your pocket and you stay close to me. And so you know, innocent, innocent as children are, you do what your parents say, but you have no grid for why you have to do these things. So you're always watching. And when white children would come in the same store and they're playing hide and seek underneath the clothes, down the aisle, running from their parents, I was totally shocked. Like, I didn't know children could do that. Like, you can get away with that. That was just not our norm growing up. And even, you know, fast forwarding to high school, um, having a homecoming court, they would tell you, if you're black, you get two votes. And if you're white, you get three votes. And it didn't matter if it was a predominantly black or white school. So you're, you were greeted by your race not by your character, my entire upbringing. My mother would always say, go to college. If you're ever gonna make it out of the poverty gap, because I mean, the only jobs you, you would get down South were assembly line jobs, restaurant jobs. No, very few would get promoted and you could be there 10 years and someone new white come in and they're your boss in three months. And it was just this, this lifestyle under the radar that people would just think, oh, Blacks are just not um, assertive. They're not smart. But there is a systemic racism that oppresses continuously to the point where you just don't try anymore. Guess what? My family eats. We're well. We'll just do the best we can. My mother used to always say, you'll have to work twice as hard, Alicia, to get half as far. You'll have to work twice as hard wow. to get half as far. And so, okay, fast forward. Now, here we are. Engineer, graduated as an engineer. Um, Come on, found out yeah, that you're you a rocket scientist. I know, I was, I was telling them how smart I was you are. already <laughs> intimidated when I saw that jewelry dripping off of you. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And then I find out you worked at NASA. Yeah, you did your internship, right? <laughs> yeah. Internship yeah. at NASA. I did. Yeah. I did. So, so you know, this, this Clarence, black girl. How did, you, how did you get her? Clarence? How did you do it, Clarence? I'm serious right now. This, this this is proof that God lives. It's called the anointing. <laughs> Your yes comes with some other blessings. That's all I got to say. All right, sorry. All right, Keep so going. fast forward. You're, yeah, you're, I, have, well, I have one more story of just racism. Yeah. Um, when I interned for NASA, since you were, guys were saying that, I, it was actually an eight-hour drive from Auburn where I went to school. And so I would go to NASA, to um, Cocoa Beach, Florida for three months, a semester at a time. And I'd work full time and then I'd go back to school full time. And I did that rotation for two years. Well, um, 
the communities around the space center, there would be families that would volunteer to house interns, to house college students that come from all over the country. And so they would send me a list of all the neighborings, um, the neighborhoods and the people, phone numbers of people who have a room to rent out to a student. So I would call this number, I called a few numbers and I felt like the, the one family that I wanted to stay with, there were two older white retired ladies and they lived together. And they were so excited. Oh, we have an extra room, we're right on the beach, bring your bike. You're gonna love, you know, riding on the beach every day. And you're, you know, she, they were just really, really excited. I was coming. I said, you know, I really feel welcome. I feel like I'm gonna have a good time with these older women. Plus, I like to be around older people anyway. I get there and I'm, I'm lost. Like I'm on the phone with them at least an hour because I can't get off this loop to figure out which exit to take. And when I finally get there, you know, we're on the phone, we're talking, we're excited. When I finally get there and open the door, I mean, knock on the door, she opens the door. I guess I didn't sound like a black female, but she opened the door and she froze mm. and she stared at me and she said, are you Alicia? I said, yeah, you know, yes, I'm pretty, um, I can be a little, um, I think the best of everybody. So I wasn't really, I didn't pick up on the fact that she was really disturbed by the color of my skin. And right. she said, oh, and my dad standing behind me and my brother, because we took two cars so they could drive one back. She said, just a moment. And she goes in and she shuts the door. And she comes back and she says, I don't think that room's gonna be big enough for your luggage. Cause we got out with my luggage and everything. She said, I, I just don't think you, your, your bag's too big. So she was like, you can come in and you know make phone calls or whatever you need to do, but I don't think that room's gonna work for you. So, oh so here I am, you know, having to, so these are the things, these are the slam doors, you know, that as a people, we have to see that no one else sees. I mean, so much so that I go to work and I tell the HR department, please take this family off that list because this is what I experienced. And, and the next semester that I went back, their name was still on the list. Mm. So even when you would, you know, right. um, advocate, no, it goes nowhere in the South. No one's listening, no one cares. You know, that's why and, um, Mr. Arbery's killers could have a video going around amongst their family for months yeah. and not think anything of it. No one's gonna do anything. Nobody's gonna believe them, right. you know? So, okay, so that's my last little story there. But fast forwarding now to um, being afraid. I immediately just went to the Lord and I said, why? why am I so afraid? Why? And, and the Lord told me, he said, he said, Alicia, you love comfort. You love comfort and you do not want to be, um, you don't want to live in the everyday unknown to see this change. And so he told me to read the book of Esther. And so as I read um, about Mordecai and Esther being an orphan, poor, um, underprivileged and wins a beauty contest and now she's in the king's palace and so when you're in the palace you can kind of distance or separate yourself away from what's going on in the everyday world so much so that Mordecai had to come and scream you know have someone come down and and tell him will you let Esther know this is going on 
and you know, and told Esther, you can't be silent. And so I just heard the Lord tell me, Alicia, your family's not called to be silent. Mm. Wow. And if you choose, and I believe that's for the church. Yeah. We're not called. We have to lead mm-hmm. in this culture. I mean, this race war. We've got to sh- show the leadership, the courage. We've got to have the hard talks. We've got to make, make the adjustments that need to be made. But Esther had to say, you know, give me three days, like, let me really consider the cost here. And then at the end, she said, and if I perish, I perish. So she was willing to lay it all on the line. And I think those three days of tension, of praying through getting, you know, dying to the flesh and letting the Lord just really equip her for what she needed to do. I think that's what we're feeling right now, that tension. I believe the, the people that are oppressed, those Jews that were oppressed, after all that happened, they were the celebrated ones in Persia. No longer. I mean, they were the ones that um, the king honored. So I just believe there's a t- this tension is ye- is yielding a greater good, mm-hmm. and that God's going to be glorified. That revival is coming as a result of this. So I'm excited. Wow. Go ahead and preach now. Seriously. <laughs> um. Something that I heard this uh, this morning. I was talking to a friend of mine, um, and he said that oftentimes people will say that the system is broken, but actually the system is working exactly as it was designed. Oh, that's good. (laughs) And um, I I think I'd love to hear more on how, how has the system, uh, and, and I think, what we're feeling and experiencing some of us for the first time is, you know, when you see, I think we'd all be on the same page, violence, not the answer, uh, destroying property is not going to be a solution ever, but you can understand when you start hearing stories like Alicia's, seeing the, the, generations of oppression, overt oppression. As you said, Alicia, when you get more north, it gets a little bit more disguised, but still there. Still there, yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, how has the system created so much anger and frustration that now you have young people who feel like their only option is to burn down the very place they get their grocery store, right? It's not, and I think we've talked about this, Clarence, people that are doing that oftentimes are not even uh, the protesters. protesters. They're just crazy people that want to do crazy stuff. Taking advantage of the but, mm-hmm. but the rage, though, yeah. uh, that specifically the tipping point here in Austin, I, I don't know what it was in, in Oklahoma, but the tipping point of, of the video of watching George Floyd be murdered by what seemed to be just a, a an emotionless 
person and then three other police officers who are still just chilling right now, which is a, a mind blow, are just standing there. Um, it, it seemed to be a tipping point for a lot of people. And that bottled up anger and rage and frustration just there was no more place for it to be bottled up. And so it just started coming out. Okay. Uh, and so I'd love to hear, because I know that you guys felt that. I felt it. Liz, Liz felt it. Yeah. Um, of just, you know, if it, if it wasn't Jesus and the gospel and my job, you know, I probably would have been on I-35 too. You know, yeah, like seriously, you know, I mean, like it, it just... So help us understand even more how the system has created such layers of frustration and layers of anger because this is like, as we're getting into this conversation, it's like an onion, right, right the, of things that are building on one another. Uh, so yeah. help us unpack it more uh, of just where, where some of this pain and frustration is uh, it's, it's been stored up. Sure. You know, when I read the Declaration of Independence and you see the aims and the goals of, uh, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and all men are created equal, you know, endowed with these unalienable rights. And you're just like, that's just beautiful the words, the language, all of it's just beautiful. But I, I call it that the reason there was a problem there was because I, I call it not the justice system, but the just us system. Mm. Wow. That a law can be great and I can have a law for my children in my house and the poor could come to my gate like Lazarus came to the rich man's gate and he had beautiful laws inside of his fence. And everybody could dance around and eat till they were fat. But the, how do we treat the people who are outside of that fence, mm -hmm. outside of this palace of a kingdom? And of course, uh, this goes as far back as 1619 when those first uh, 19 uh, slaves, or as they, slaves or as they call them, indentured servants came over and slavery was birthed in America. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the scream, the cry has been uh, going on for so long that's why where that pent up rage comes in where you really want to kind of give up that's what the natural man would say unless you feel called to do this you really want you don't want to talk about it anymore you don't want to bring it up anymore because if you go to bring up your pain and i'm sure everybody can probably relate to something like this <clears throat> where you were experiencing some kind of pain you were experiencing a pain or a death in the family or you had a loss and it bothered you. And somebody comes along and they just simply say, oh yeah, man, that happened to me a while ago. Now you're still processing. Mm. You ain't trying to hear somebody tell you, say, oh man, you know, you're, you're just looking for someone who can empathize or you'd rather just be alone. Yeah. yeah. And when you repeatedly have people who cannot connect with you, it kind of wears on you. This George Floyd situation opens something up. And so I think there's a, there's a great necessity to understand, you know, just a little bit of the history of African-Americans in this country 
uh, when we think about the system. So people will say, why do we have to talk about race now? Why are we talking about race now? Of course, now that George Floyd death is right on live TV and this man's knee is on his neck, kind of like the system uh, on the black man's neck. Now that that's happened, now people's eyes are opening. And I mean, literally people are reaching out left and right. I mean, I still seeing text messages coming in even now where this awakening has taken place. But before people could not empathize. Mm -hmm. And what I would hear from people's arguments was, why should we talk about race when slavery was over 150 years ago? Yeah. So there, 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 there's, there's a reality that I've come to that in America, we have at least two histories. Based on your skin color, there's, a, there's two different histories so that when one person looks back through history, they're like, whoo, this place is awesome. Another group looks back in history and they're like, boy, they still can't hear us. Yeah. And you tell two different stories. You know, after the Civil War, um, the slaves were set free, but they weren't given anything. Mm-hmm. And if you have no power, you have no land, what can you do? So they went into the sharecropping system. So here, here are these systems. Right. Mm-hmm. When Blacks were brought over, they were not brought over as partners. They were not brought over as a celebrated group of people who could contribute to society. They were brought over as a people who could help make uh, whites rich. So setting them free was not really a big part of the plan. <laughs> Said that there was no vision to say, hey, man, let's bring uh, these Africans over here. Let's, um, let's, let's teach them our ways and let's become partners. That vision has never existed and that's why instead of, you know, a partnership is birthed out of celebrating one another, but, and with Blacks, we've tolerated one another. Or white America has tolerated Blacks. So every time there's another bump, whether it's um, slavery ending or the civil rights movement, we inch forward. When you celebrate, you run, you try to dream as much as you can to see how much you can handle, but now we just do a little at a time. Mm-hmm. So when slavery ends, they're set free, and in Reconstruction, which was 1865 to about 1874, there were at least 1,200 to 1,500 Blacks in government. Then the Klan rises up because the federal troops leave the South and they begin to murder and lynch and drive all of these Blacks out of government. So you got to see this. Former slaves were in government position, just an amazing resilience. And from 1874 on, you had the birth of the Klan and you had Jim Crow laws birthed out of that. And now you have civil rights movement and everything just inches along based on what people are willing to sacrifice. George Floyd to me is an amazing moment in history because I think this is the first time where a massive amount of white Americans have had an empathy moment. I think the other moment might've been the Edmund Pettus bridge when they walked across that bridge peacefully and they were chased back over the bridge. People died and the, and the pictures and the images hit national TV. There were a couple moments then, but of recent times, you know, even four years ago when the uh, unarmed black men were killed and five Dallas police officers were killed, this was the response. When the two unarmed black men were killed, one group of people mourned. Mm-hmm. Mostly people of color, a few, um, segment of whites who kind of understood the story. Then the five Dallas police officers were killed. 
Then a whole different group began to get in the conversation and were upset. We're just saying that the believers should be upset over all seven, number one. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 the response was split. This time, now we literally have some movements where people in the streets, and if you look close, sometimes there's more whites than blacks protesting. Right. I call that a, an awakening of empathy and awareness that what they've been trying to say all this time is true, and I personally feel it. Wow. I feel like both you and Alicia, you know, talking about that it's on video, more people are seeing it, more people are being empathetic, like like you said. And I mean, I feel that. Like when I even look at my social media feed, I feel like people are connecting to that reality for some the first time ever. ever. And what are you guys, as you've done so much work with unity and reconciliation and you know what are what are practical things what are things you're sensing even prophetically that is next for our nation now that we're all sort of acknowledging the systemic and overt racism that's going on Alicia I'll pitch that one to you first what do you what are you seeing just overall what do you see big picture you know I think the the heaviness that we're all feeling i think the i think there's a a true repentance Mm. coming first that the church has to truly repent truly lament Mm. over this inherited atrocity i'm not saying we we um consciously did it but we're a part of it we benefit some have benefited from it so we're all in this on one side or the other and i think once the church can can offer up um, that sacrifice to the Lord. I believe um, as an I believe as a nation, God's going to do something great. But Clarence, I'm going to let you talk about the nations and all that. But just like first well, of all, they're well, coming a true repentance. Mm-hmm. I think you're spot on. I mean, I'm just going to jump off from what you say. You're saying um, Daniel chapter nine is a beautiful chapter on national repentance. It's a beautiful chapter that talks about one person interceding um, for a change. So he had, Daniel had read the writings and the prophecies of the, the prophet Jeremiah, and he realized that 70 years was the moment. So he began to pray and intercede into that season and time. And I think a lot of our churches were in heavy intercession and prayer over this last season, just, you know, felt called to increase prayer and all. But I do believe that this this other level where the church has been very, very complicit mm-hmm. in the history of racism in this country. And there are some denominations that have acknowledged those areas, but man, we really have not been, uh, the church uh, at large has not been on the boat with what the Bible says mm-hmm. about loving one another with the example jesus said about relating to other ethnic groups like he related to the samaritans we have taken on a political identity and a right-wing platform or a left-wing platform instead of a body of christ platform Mm. when it comes to how we handle race and ethnicity Mm. and it's true i believe it's a time for an authentic repentance an authentic repentance looking at the scriptures and saying wow 
Jesus prayed himself for us to be one. We don't have the right to be comfortable if a prayer that he prayed is not being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. um, none of us have holes in our hands or holes in our feet. And none of us has a, a right to lead the body of Christ in this or that direction. If Jesus wants us to be one, then we should be figuring out what's my part in this process. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking of Romans chapter 12, one and two. I'm thinking about just the concept of being renewed in the mind. He said, do not be conformed to this world. And hundreds of years, seeing the power of slavery, racism, Jim Crow, and then systems even the 60s, 70s, and 80s that have still just persisted through and mass incarceration is another one. <clears throat> um, a couple of great books on the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander and uh, Slavery by Another Name that can kind of help you see the history of how some of these systems, they just change forms. Yeah. And the only way that you can break those systems is you've got to have someone with a vision and then you've got to have America buy into that vision. That is well, funny. if we're born oh again, okay. it doesn't matter what America's vision is. We have a vision in the scriptures that's and that's right. what Jesus yeah. said. Yeah. And then that's Matthew 28, 19. That's teaching others, teaching all nations, all ethnic groups, mm -hmm. That's nations, the Greek word ethnos, or ethnic groups, and is, or another translation is make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to be teaching the ways of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I agree with Alicia. Um, Daniel 9's moment, uh, Daniel, what's key about Daniel 9 is when Daniel began to repent, he acknowledged every way that God had tried to speak to him through the scriptures, the prophets, um, through rem rem remembering about the deliverance from Israel. Mm -hmm. Man, one key thing he did was he repented for the sins of his fathers. Mm -hmm. Now, I used to wonder, I'm like, why, why are you repenting for what your parents did, right? And first of all, Dan, you, you haven't done anything. Why, why are you repenting at all? Because there's something called like a national and a corporate sin, where sometimes sins are going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll pray about sins if the negative sins if the sins negatively impact us. Right, yeah. We're a little bit slower when those negative sins make it a little bit easier to live. You know, um, you get your slave to take care of all your business all day long, you know, repentance is starting to move a little bit slower. Yeah. yeah. You know, your, your church can put you at a million dollar budget just with just a few people in the pews because you plant in the suburbs that were birthed out of redlining and sundown towns and all types of segregation. You get to plant there and then you wonder, well, what's wrong with those struggling communities that are broke? You know, you're not gonna think about repenting, especially if it's gonna touch that wallet some. Yeah. And so there's things that our forefathers have done that it, what I learned was if you can receive, if you'll boast on the blessing that comes from your forefathers and you wanna steward the blessing, then we also need the steward the negative things that came down yeah. and acknowledge them so that we can turn and i believe that that's a moment um, that even the church corporately is going to have to do and i believe we'll probably see something great in that in that lane i think something i'd love for you guys to touch on um, is how loud the silence is when when churches are silent, how loud is it to your ears? You know, I, I heard of um, 
the uh, um, um, the island where they would ha that has the castle where the slaves that were brought over from Africa were were stacked on top of each other, not even like standing, but literally stacked on top of each other. And on top of the castle was a church. So to think about people going there on Sundays and the slaves hearing um, people worship and hearing preaching, and that is the lens of, that's the birth of the perception of the white church to people of color. And so when, when that's deep into the, and you even mentioned the, the Declaration of Independence, a lot of people don't know that the Declaration of Independence didn't set you free. Yeah. That according to the Declaration of Independence, set, us free. set me free, set Liz free, and said that you were two-thirds of a person. And we don't connect with that ever. Yeah. You know, I don't read anything about that on July 4th. Mm -hmm. Nope. You know, and, and so those things that are so deep that we don't even talk about them have roots in how, in how you feel and in, in the silence you said complicit, that's way too big of a word for me. You know, you, you know me, I don't even know what complicit means. I mean, I figured it out listening to you talk, but the silence of so many white people and specifically the white evangelical church in this, around this issue, how has that made you feel? I am, if you guys see my face, I'm kind of looking to the left and looking this way. There was a, this, this is such a prophetic moment. There was a black guy outside walking in our neighborhood, handing out flyers. I saw him walk past my window and then a cop pulled up. Oh. And, and so I'm like, you know what? And, and so the cop, he had to go around to the cop car and pretty, I'm pretty sure you have to tell him why he was here. But the cop gets out of the car and they're just having a dialogue right in front of my house, wow. right this moment. I just took a picture of it. They're wow. shaking hands, embracing right in wow. front of my window on, right now. Wow. So I believe signs and wonders are yeah. upon us all. Yeah. So. Amen. Yeah. That's huge. And I, and I think it's our responsibility to drive that narrative because I want to say this too. When I hear about the responsibility on the white church, when I hear the stories of the church being built on top of the slave quarters, actually I get nervous because I know my human capacity to have blindness. Mm -hmm. The minute I point my finger at someone else, God, what am I doing that's blind myself? Mm -hmm. wow. I'm not saying that clears anything or lessens the blow at all, but I think you know, that everybody has to walk in humility um, and not go in with a spirit of accusation or condemnation. 
is definitely a calling higher. I do believe that in order for the body of Christ to walk as one, um, you can't, it's hard to have unity if you don't want to listen to the sufferings and the pain of your brothers and sisters. Yeah. If you're saying, hey, come to the table with us, go struggle on your own. Wow. Hey, let's have a unity event together and wow. you help my stuff, but I'm not going to ask you about what you're struggling with. But see, I needed you here because I needed diversity because I put unity on here and um, we got called out about it at the first meeting. So we, we sent an ambassador who already knew you guys to come bring y'all over here. Mm. Uh, now, none of us ourselves decided to build any relationships, but we needed you. Right. And then, so if you're struggling, we're not going to be family after this. We're not going to be family in between, um, but just come to our stuff. We're not coming to yours. Yeah. It's time out for that old stuff. Yeah. And I believe we're in our new day. And I believe God is, has awakened a community of believers, black, white, red, yellow, uh, African-American, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, who are willing. Mm -hmm. and, they, and, and we see the Father's hand in this. And I would just believe it's an opportune moment. I, I would hate for either side to to miss it by blindness or by bitterness. Yeah. Man, I, I think that'd be a great place for us to, to end. And could you just pray for us? I think that those two words, the, the, the caution against blindness and bitterness is, is, is timely in, the, in these days. So can you just pray for us, Clarence or Absolutely. Alicia or Absolutely. both? Father, we want to thank you that you are faithful and that um, in your wisdom, in your wisdom, you knew this moment was coming. Mm. And um, it's impossible for Jesus to pray and your prayer to fall to the ground. So God, as you bring us closer to John 17 unity, we're asking, Father, that eyes would be opened and we're praying also that hearts would not grow bitter and weary and doing good and forgiving and seeking unity. Father, would you give those who have been wounded and hurt and unheard, would you bring comfort? Would you bring such a spirit of rest so as you're unfolding your plans, there would be zero anxiety, zero obligation, but an ongoing expectancy of hope that you are God who never fails and that our children and our children's children will have something greater than we have. And God, would you just continue to give courage, boldness, and humility to all of my white family in Christ who are now waking and saying, we are aware of something. Mm -hmm. When this crisis pass, God, passes, would you just cause us, Father God, to not lose momentum? Mm -hmm. And Lord, show us the beauty of what you're up to and bring us quickly into your plans, we pray. God, I bless Antioch Austin who carries this assignment to the city of Austin. Mm -hmm. God, that they will be pioneers in this calling. I speak even to those who are listening right now that your voice is not mute. What you do today does matter mm -hmm. and that you are seen. Yeah. I speak to all of the brown and people of color in this body. You are seen and you're not too young to be heard. Mm -hmm. So God, we speak a release over those who are listening now. Thank you, Lord. We throw away every false assumption 
God, we thank you that we'll learn through talking to one another and not just presuming and assuming what others are thinking. Mm -hmm. And we pray a blessing, God, that Austin, Antioch Austin will carry the power of the unity of Jesus in the city. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.